Hello and welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the only show you need to fuck. Let's try it again. The only show you need to fuck. The only show you need to fuck. Play us during coitus. We'll get you there. We'll whisper words of encouragement. You can do it. Yeah, you're doing great. Keep going. They're almost there. Plow, plow, plow. Up to the left. <laughs> now slide to the right. Everybody no, under, clap your hands. Under no circumstances should you slide to the right. <laughs> you could get seriously injured by sliding to the right. All right, oh, cool. Did I ever tell you that one time when I was meeting my new landlord and signing my lease, he told me that he broke his neck in a sex swing? We were, I was over, we were signing the lease. He gave me some chocolate pudding to eat, and while what I was eating- What a nice landlord, like, I guess. He was pretty cool. As far as um, landlords go, right? Like, Yeah, as far as landlords go, he was he was pretty chill. He gave me pudding. Only that one time. It wasn't like a regular <laughs> well, thing. He, did, he didn't regularly show up with- uh, He didn't just with, like, he wasn't like, hey, it's pudding time. Thanks for the rent. <laughs> but uh, when I was over signing the lease, he was like, I bet you're wondering why my arm doesn't work that good. And I was like, what? No, I, I I didn't notice. He was like, sex swing accident. I mean, that, yeah, like that's that's the sound of someone who wanted to tell you, right? Like, one hundred percent wanted me to know that he, he fucks in a sex swing. Was, was he like, was his arm in a sling or a cast or anything? No, no, it just no. didn't. He was he, he was just never able to like lift it all the way up. Like I think it went to like like shoulder level. Oh, okay, at sure, best. sure. So not not a thing I would ask about, like... No, no, I wasn't going to be like, hey man, what's up with your fucking arm, your weird arm? For for all you know, that could be like a, like a, they were born with it, like a degenerative thing, or like a, like a, who has, Chris Gethard has that. Yeah. Uh, Chris Chris Gethard just, since, since childhood hasn't been able to raise his arms that, that high. So yeah, you would never, ever ask about that, so he had to draw attention to it. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't going to go back to like go out and be like, "Man, I hate my fucking landlord. He can't lift his arm very high." I bet it's for stupid reasons that I hate. And maybe if it was a sex-related injury, I'd respect him. No, he was like, "I want you to know that I enjoy a uh, fucking in a swing." And did he give uh, any details as to how the swing injured his arm? I think he fell out. Okay, as that's the only way I could think of, right? Because yeah, because the swing doesn't do a lot of like arm contact, as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you are grossly misusing it. No, he just didn't read the instructions, and he was like, "Well, this must be arm relate. This must be where my arm goes." Fuck! Ow! Ow! Hospital. Honestly, man, I feel like we should just make this the intro. Neither of us, think- neither of us had an intro. I'm, yeah. Here, here's how desperate we were for an intro. I was gonna tell about a dream I had. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing it's, happens anymore. It's never a good sign when your host is like, "I had this dream." 
And, and honestly, it. man, I can do it right now. I'll do I'll do the whole thing because the details of the dream are dumb and boring and you don't want to hear about my dream. All you need to know is that while I was having this dream, my dream self in my dream thought, man, I can't wait to tell this story on the podcast. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Carnage. You You understand the thing about our intros is we have like two weeks, maybe a month between episodes. To have something interesting happen to us. And quite frequently, we have nothing. Like, one of us barely has an interesting story, and the other one is like, oh, thank God. This isn't, I've this just isn't, been living like a machine for two weeks. This isn't our fault, right? This is everyone right now. For yeah. the past two years, like, if you have interesting stories, if you're doing interesting things, you're fucking up. Yeah. You're fucking you're it up for the rest person. of us. So yeah. it's not our fault. Hello and welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Marty Schneider. I'm the other host. I'm Dan Ludwig. I think what I was going to say is Breaking Mayberry is the only podcast you need to face the terrors of a new year. But, but no, that's, we, that's overselling we, it. We're inadequate for that. That's overselling it. Uh, You're at least going to need like Reply All and us, maybe. <laughs> I don't think he, does. I thought Reply All ended. Are they still doing Reply All? I don't know. I don't pay attention. No, no one cares. You, the, the real problem is, as you pointed out, all of our podcasts the, that we listen to have COVID now because they all <laughs> they all know each other. They all go to the same fucking parties. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the only show that doesn't have COVID right now because we don't hang out with those people. According to a test I took this morning. <laughs> Uh, okay, oh, yeah. so, I mean, we, we are ostensibly a, a show about classic television and the Andy Griffith Show, and today's episode, yeah, look at this, six minutes in and we're jumping to the Andy Griffith Show, we really don't have anything. Today's episode of the Andy Griffith Show is, this is an interesting one for me, well, no, the episode is not interesting. The episode is wait, incredibly wait, before, boring. Before we do the Andy Griffith Show, can I just share a detail related to this podcast? Sure. Um, I had to do a Christmas party recently. And it came up that I have a podcast about old television. And I repeatedly got requests of like, oh my god, you need to talk about this show that's very, very important to me. And I would just be like, if we talk about it, we're going to absolutely rip it apart. That's the only way we know how to be entertaining. And I just had like multiple people go up and be like, you gotta do Gilligan's Island. Be like, do you want to hear me talk shit on Gilligan's Island and explain why it's the worst show ever? Oh. <laughs> well, like just being the worst human being. Okay, so I'm I'm actually kind of glad you brought that up because sort of the ulterior motive be behind this episode that we're recording right now is kind of like testing grounds for our next mini series or whatever. Like the next time we switch to a different show for a period of time, I was just kind of trying to see like if we do other shows, what's that going to be like? And you know what? I'll tell you right now, we're not going to do the fucking Brady Bunch. <laughs> Brady Bunch sucks so hard. So Brady Bunch can fuck itself. So in in this episode, so today's today's episode of the Andy Griffith Show is it's crap. It's not an interesting episode on its own. It's 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 whatever. It's it's background noise. But it gave us an interesting opportunity because it's one of those ones where like the episode itself isn't that interesting, but it's like the originator of a trope of a plot that you've seen a million times. And a bunch yeah. of different things. So we decided that it's we haven't done one of these in a while. We're going to do a comparison episode. Woo! 
Yeah. The last time we did it, people got really mad at us. No, that... Well, one guy got really <laughs> mad at us. And actually, actually, no, we've done it like two or three times since then, and no one gave a shit. The last time we did it, we watched Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> oh yeah, we, that one was weird. We, have, we went into your childhood one time. We we have we haven't done it in a while. I feel like we do it once or twice a season. So basically, we're going to do this episode of the Andy Griffith Show, and we're going to compare it to similar episodes of the Brady Bunch and Mash. And yeah. honestly, this means that we get to go to the seventies, which is a place this show doesn't spend a whole lot of time. Uh, yeah. And I get to talk about MASH, which is something I want to do all the time. Actually, I guess I guess it's the, the episode we're doing is the end of MASH, so we're going into the 80s. Wow. All right. So today's episode is season four, episode 23, Andy Saves Gomer. Originally airs March 16th, 1964, written by Harvey Bullock, directed by Jeffrey Hayden. Here is your one-sentence summary from Wikipedia. Gomer is overly grateful to Andy for putting out a fire at Wally's and pesters Andy by wanting to help him in gratitude. Okay, so this yeah. this one-sentence summary is not really accurate to what we're getting at. This is the, you saved my life, I owe you a debt, I am your slave for life trope. Yeah. It's that one. You've seen this plot line before. You've probably seen it in cartoons, honestly. Uh, You've seen it in a show, like, from 2016. Like, it comes up a lot. Because it's it's pretty rich comedic ground. Because the formula is super easy. Person A saves person B. Uh, person B dis- declares that they owe them a life debt. The fulfilling of the life debt becomes wildly inconvenient. And so person A fakes a reversal of the situation. And then equilibrium is achieved. So, it's funny that you say that it shows up, you probably saw it in something from 2016, because I feel like if you did see it in 2016, it was in something for children. It was definitely, like, it comes up a lot in cartoons, it comes up a lot in, like, children's television shows, like Nickelodeon shows and whatnot, because that's the only audience you can really do this for anymore, uh, because... They're the that's the only audience that won't go. I've seen this a million times. They're the only ones this is new for. Yeah. If anything, I feel like these three episodes that we're watching here kind of go with the rise and fall of this trope uh, and in live action stuff, in stuff for adults. So, yeah. in, in addition to to Andy saves Gomer, we're also going to talk about uh, Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch episode, My Brother's Keeper, which is season five, episode eight, originally November 2nd, 1973. So about nine or ten years after. And then we'll get to Operation Friendship, which is from season nine of MASH, episode 10, which aired January 26, 1981. So, yeah, we're basically going through... About fifteen twenty years of this. So yeah. let, let's let's talk about let's do, let's do the Andy Griffith Show one first, right? So we open up. By the way, Floyd's back. <laughs> Floyd's back, and this is post-stroke Howard McNear. So they have basically had to refashion the set so that in every scene there is somewhere for Howard McNear to sit. Right. Yeah, so he is, I think, moving forward, in all scenes, he's going to be completely stationary. Which is, I mean, Um, it's a bit of a shame because he's, like, the one thing that you could note about Howard McNear about was his physicality, mm -hmm. you know, and and that's why you made him a barber, because a barber always is standing and walking around and stuff. And and he was 
I guess, good at being goofy. We never understood what the fuck he I, was trying I to do. But he don't. was he was very animated. So yeah, so he's back in a basically pointless scene. The only reason the only this scene this scene only exists to explain that Don Knotts is somewhere. That Barney I mean, is the only purpose of this scene is to say Barney's not in this episode. It 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 serves two purposes. One, why Don Knotts is in this in this episode, and two these guys are horny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so Barney so Opie comes in and he's got a letter that Barney sent them from his vacation. His vacation, I maybe he went to Raleigh. He definitely checked into the Y. He and his cousin Virgil, you might remember as like a weird sexy baby man, went to the Y, checked into the Y and are just hanging there having the time of their life playing skee ball. Yeah. Like he in his letter he writes, "Oh man, let me tell you, I had a wild night. We played six games of skee ball in a row." And I just sat there screaming, "I know you had more shit to do than this." <laughs> you have to, Well, but it, he says, "We played skee ball." And they're like, "Oh, cool. Six games." And they're like, "What? This opulence." <laughs> Which what the fuck were you doing the 60s? <laughs> like that was kind of staggering of just like like that must have been super expensive expensive to throw wooden balls into circles for 30 seconds six times again again we have to remember he did go to the ymca so none of this actually happened if he was being truthful the letter was just like gang banging twinks (laughs) just (laughs) i'm on the tail end of a train andy it's awesome Cause like he, that's what he did. He went he went to the YMCA in a different city so that he can go and have gay sex for a week. And more power to you, my man. However, however, to, to, as if to cover this up a little bit more, he then says we went to one of those diners where the waitresses wear peekaboo peekaboo blouses. Peek the waitresses wear peekaboo blouses. Gonna Google and that as on... a, like a thing I probably should have Googled beforehand. Yeah, let's take a look at some peekaboo blouses. Peek a boo blouse. Okay. Uh, Which is a real thing. Oh, that's a that's a blouse I've seen. Wait, it's just a This can't this this has to be something else. It's well no, I think it's okay. It's a place where women wore blouses where there is like basically a V and you can almost see cleavage. And, you know, they got super duper horny about it. Oh that. my Basically, god! Is, is is that what like what Amazon is showing me is like is like a, a bikini top, but it's actually showing less skin than a normal bikini. <laughs> it's basically a sports bra with a teeny tiny little pow- yeah. like Power Girl hole. You know, yes. the Power Girl has the boob window, but it's like that, mm-hmm. except it's like the size of like a Baybel cheese. <laughs> yep, and that back for the Andy Griffith show is enough to get two grown men fully off. They they so this, this yeah. It has to mean something else. It has to be No, it just means that they went to a restaurant where the women have a mildly promiscuous dress code and two guys got really jacked up looking down their shirts. Okay, no, hang on. I cuz like if you look at Peekaboo lingerie, Peekaboo lingerie allows you to actually see just like a, a slip of nipple. It's like it's like a bra. So I, I mean, the, so did they go to a strip club or Hooters? Like <laughs> they went to a Hooters. They, they went to the 1960s version of a Hooters, which is just a place that shows barely more skin than normal. Uh, and then and then so 
Andy is reading this letter out loud and then he gets to that part and then he, he looks at Opie and is like, and then they just went to dinner. Okay, go to school. And Opie says, what? Uh, peekaboo, that's a word I recognize. What does that mean in this context? To which Andy goes, ah, don't worry about it. And he should have gone like, man, we are turned on by language for children. That is probably alarming for grown adults. Send them out of the room, and then he and and Floyd read the letter again together. And, yeah. they, and they get real horny at Barney's description of women's, like, side just, boob. Just two guys getting horny together and then writing a letter to two other guys <laughs> so that they can get horny about it vicariously. Not even seeing the almost boob, just thinking about someone else seeing the almost boob <laughs> and just loving it. Jesus Christ. This is pre-being able to find a Maxim magazine in the woods. This is what they had to work with before. You had pornography in the 60s. It you had to You had to drive somewhere and like and look through a hole at something. This is true. And then try really hard to remember it the entire drive home so you could jack off. This is what they were working with. Uh, we've made leaps and bounds since then. Just, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel sorry for our grandparents, our grandfathers. <laughs> All right. So anyway, let me get to the plot of the episode, which is that Barney, that Andy goes over to the filling station so that he can let Gomer see the letter. Yeah. So that this <laughs> so that this man child can also be horny. Just passing this around. And yeah. they get there and Gomer is asleep at his desk and there is a small like trash can fire. There's some smoke coming out of a trash can. Uh, uh the Wally th- put his cigarette out in a oil drum full of dirty rags which almost caught on fire, filling the room with smoke. Yeah, it was mostly just um, smoldering. And- yeah, Andy wakes Gomer up, he puts out the fire, and Gomer declares that the fire, it, the smoke could have turned into a fire, which could have engulfed the gas station, which could have killed Gomer, and therefore Andy saved his life. So, yeah, there's your there's your setup. There's the life-saving. They go out of their way to make it as minute as possible. Yeah, and and then, you know, you know where this plot goes from here. Gomer freaks out. He says, you could have saved me, or you, you, I could have died. Uh, you saved me. I'm going to do everything for you. I'll take, I'll, sh- I don't know, shine your shoes. He just gets in the way, like. Yeah, should, should we go? I don't feel like we don't need to go through the individual. We can just do, a, like, a rapid fire of the things Gomer Let's see. Does, he, right? he offers to take opie to school and carry him in his arms which is weird he does all of the manual labor at the jail yeah yeah uh, including he, washing the windows putting another yeah. dude out of a job like like he chops an excessive amount of wood none of this is he, funny like no the, the, the real problem with this is that like for this trope for this plot to work the things that are bothersome have to be amusing like he has to be yeah. like but but it has to be excessive like the character has to be like oh there's a puddle i don't want you to get your shoes wet i'm going to lie face down in the puddle and make you walk on my back like it has to be absurd but he's just 
annoying. And, and, and this, he's and just this isn't, helpful and annoying. This isn't abs- like it is. It is excessive, but not in a yeah. funny or interesting way. It's just like, hey, I got you some wood. Oh, that's too much wood. It's literally the too much tuna bit. You're like, yeah, it's just for everything. Yeah, and and also. He starts following Opie around and and like helping Opie to the point where Opie is like, dude, Gomer keeps like following me and picking me up and like doing stuff for me. And I, as a child, am becoming uncomfortable. <laughs> and Andy, Andy is like, oh, man, I got to I got to wiggle my way out of this and not like, OK, man, line crossed. Okay, and- You're weirding out my kid. And the way that he handles this, I will say, is probably the dumbest and darkest way I've ever seen this done. Because, right, the the next step in the trope is always uh, person B has to return the favor and save person A. Usually person A fakes this and then the danger becomes real for some reason, for some arbitrary reason. And then, then they're even. Or sometimes they do a thing where, like, now person B uh b is or person a is now person b's slave even though they're even it never really made any sense so in this case andy is in the jail he looks at the radiator and he calls gomer and he says hey gomer can you bring me my jacket it's a little cold in here because the radiator isn't working no there's no problem unless there was a gas leak if there was a gas leak then that could knock me out and but don't worry you would smell it and then he takes his wrench, opens up the gas pipe, and lays down in front of it. Causes an actual gas leak. No, he doesn't lay down in front of it, Marty. He leaves. <laughs> no, He's, no. He, he lays down in front of it because Opie walks in and sees his dad dead. Yeah. <laughs> Opie walks in and sees his father laying face down on the floor for a, for a split second. And for that horrifying minute, Opie believes that his father is dead. And then Andy goes, oh, nope, I'm just doing push-ups. It's cool. Let's leave now, kid. <laughs> so yeah. so he, he opens up a gas valve and leaves. Yeah. he you. <laughs> the trope is normally you do an overly elaborate, goofy, fake death. And in this, he's like, I'm going to cause an actual literal gas leak in my building. <laughs> it's so dumb. And it goes... About as well as it deserves what to. What is he going to do if I- Gomer lights a match? Yeah. He's... The the intelligence of Gomer fluctuates wildly from episode to episode. And it's low in this one. For sure. They did barely cognitively aware Gomer. So Andy, after that interaction with Opie, Andy fucks off. And just is like, well, I'm going to go do something else in the other room while this room fills with carbon monoxide i'm sure it's cool no other consequences will occur gomer walks in immediately asphyxiates himself by putting his face really close to the open gas main yeah and then andy has to like pull him away fix the gas leak and then basically lie to a mildly delirious gomer like a partially brain damaged Gomer that uh, he in in his fugue state, he rescued Andy and fixed the main. Yeah. So they even skip over the part of actually saving like Gomer does not return the favor by actually saving him. Uh, no, Andy just does lying. Yeah. Yeah. That's, which that's, is just that, the- that's Andy's superpower. He just lies. 
Yeah, which there was a much easier way to do that. He always does, like, he 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 sets up a, like, in terms of his lies, he sets up a Rube Goldberg machine, and then at the very end, he just knocks over the Rube Goldberg machine and puts the, the ball in the cup. He's just like, he's always just like, man, fuck this, this sucks. This elaborate scheme is dumb as hell. Hey, man, you did it. I'm proud of you. I lie. I'm lying. His plan sucks so much shit. And then the stinger of it is that uh, Gomer comes over and he's like, yeah, man, I'm not going to be your like slave for life anymore. I guess we're even. But also, while I was following you around, I realized you're incompetent and you need help with everything. So I'm just going to help you out now. So you know what this this kind of cemented for me is so. All of the scenes of Gomer helping Andy are not funny, but what they are, are deeply frustrating. Yeah. And you can really see Andy in pain and frustration and at the end of his rope. And then Andy's entire family being like, I'm losing my fucking mind with Gomer always being around. He's harassing us. This is a camp. This is a reign of terror that you have subjected us to. I wish you would let him die. Um, Andy's in hell, like a hell of his own making, because he's just surrounded himself with these like wildly incompetent man children that he has like deliberately stunted. And now they just torture him and his family once a week. And he just has to constantly try to weasel his way out of it. It's nightmarish. <laughs> okay, so that's that episode pretty much in a nutshell. I mean, there's nothing really to tell. Not really in a nutshell, in its full in, in its description. Yeah, there's, there's not, we didn't really breeze over there's it. There's not a lot to it. I do think this is the... It's not the first example of this trope to exist, but it's the, the oldest example I can see of it on television, anyway. Yeah. You, you mentioned that you only see it today in, like, kids' shows. Which does make sense because it very much operates on child logic. Exactly, right? Because it. Yeah. It, I, I noted that of these three episodes, only the MASH has it happen between two adults. I don't count this as being between two adults because the show does not treat Gomer like an adult. So this is between an adult and another adult with the mind of a child. And then the other one is between two children. And then the MASH episode is the only one uh, that has it between two adults now this is yeah. kind of interesting too uh just the evolution of how this how much people thought this this trope how much mileage you could get out of it because yeah in, here it is in its inception this is the episode this is all there is to it this is the entire 25 minutes brady bunch but nine or ten years later it's the main focus of the episode, but there is a B-plot. It's barely a B-plot. It's a stupid B-plot about the girls putting up new wallpaper in their room. but And they disagree. Mildly. But every but but that's that, that one has a B-plot. And then by the time we get to MASH in 1981, this this trope, the like slave for life, oh you my life, is the B-plot. Yeah. It's the B plot because they've realized we're we're just running out of mileage. It's the B plot to a much more important, much more serious, much more mashy kind of thing. So let's yeah. go to let's go to Brothers Keeper. Let's go to the Brady Bunch. 
Brady Bunch sucks ass. <laughs> I it is. I watched it on Nick at Night as a kid. Like I used to stay up late to like watch Nick at Night because I had insomnia, and that was the only thing that was on. So I used to like try to understand all these shows from the seventies. And at the time, I was like, "Man, Brady Bunch is fucking cool." All the, these kids like have independence and agency. This show rules. And now watching it. It's just so smug and obnoxious and neutered. I hate the entire Brady family. They all suck ass. It is the television equivalent of plastic wrap on a couch. Yeah. It is like 100%. And here's the thing. I don't I don't think I hated this as much as you did. I I'm not going to say I liked it. I didn't mind it. I found it somewhat interesting. I feel like I I have basically the same amount of knowledge of the Brady Bunch as you do. So I'm judging, making my entire judgments of the Brady Bunch of this. But it sort of feels like the Brady Bunch was sort of like stubbornly a holdover. Like we're in the 70s. Norman Lear is taking over. Suddenly TV has to be about something. You know, your comedies have to at least touch on real world issues and here's the brady punch that's kind of like stubbornly going no <laughs> yeah it's, it's, no fuck this no you you you, you, can, you can get lots of comedy about the fact that a family exists and that's yeah. it because right because like brady punch tries like in the intro you're like oh they're a blended family right they're like ones this that and and, and maybe and then they're a blended family of white and also white yeah. it's it's the differences of brunette and blonde but I mean, i'm pretty sure blended family like blended family does not mean interracial blended family means like you know but it, it's supposed to kind of mean of two different worlds i think like it's supposed to be like well, they're different, and they're making their differences work together, but they have no fucking differences. They're just the same human beings. And and the catch, here's the catch of it, right, is I've got a feeling that in the 70s, that was probably becoming more and more common, uh, especially in California, where no-fault divorces had been a thing. Although, I'm pretty sure uh, that neither of the Brady parents are married they're both widows or yeah. divorced i mean no no no. they're not divorced they're both widows they both have dead spouses. they both have dead spouses yes that's what i'm trying to say so yeah. anyway i mean they again i'm I'm judging this all by like a handful of episodes watching the television watching the 90s movie when i was too young to understand what any of it was and so they don't do anything with that like there's no conflict yeah. there's oh. no you're not my real dad there's no step there's no step there's well, no stepbrother and stepsister horny for each other. Like there's no they don't do anything with this. It's literally the, just again, we're a family, we exist, and that's funny enough. We the the show does like almost have pathos and human moments and those like King Lear things. And then here comes the dad who just goes, Hey, cut that out. Nope. Like, the kids are like, I have feelings about deep subjects. And the dad just, like, pops around a corner and be like, no, you don't. <laughs> Cut it out. All right. Let's let's get dinner. Okay. That, that's actually a good lead-in. So let's talk about this episode. Uh, this episode enters with, or opens with the boys doing chores outside. Greg Brady is the oldest brother, and he's up on a ladder because he's painting. Peter, the younger, the middle brother, is down on the ground. He's weeding. He's, like, working in the garden. Peter goes, Greg goes inside, my bad. Greg goes inside to have a phone call. Take a phone yeah, call. Yeah, it doesn't matter. From a hot girl. Yeah, right. Because this, this show made it really important that you knew that Greg Brady was hot. Yeah, that was, like, the thing that made it, like... Uh, like 
intriguing to to kids was like, oh man, Greg Brady gets laid a lot, or otherwise like, oh man, Marsha's hot. That's really the most danger you get from the show. So, but they don't like Greg Brady doesn't get laid a lot. He holds hands uh, a lot. Meanwhile, so Bobby, the youngest brother, who is probably what nine or ten maybe 11 comes in to, to talk peter gets up he's holding the hose the hose pulls the ladder down uh and the ladder almost falls on peter but bobby pushes him out of the way so there there are two distinctions between the andy griffith show and the brady bunch in this one barney uh, barney not barney Gomer did not almost die. He grossly exaggerates the danger of the situation. And Andy is basically like, no, man, you weren't in any actual danger. You would have been fine. Fucking Peter almost does bite it. Like they do show a ladder guillotining where his head was like the a, a flower pot that was exactly where his little neck was, is smashed into oblivion. This he might have fucking gotten at least paralyzed. This is also the only one of these episodes that does touch on what this is really about, right? Like, I, I don't, yeah. I don't want to play like like sitcom psychologist, even though that's what we do most of the time. But like, whenever you see this trope, whenever you see the IOU, my life, what it's really about is holy shit, I nearly died, and like, I guess the only way I can process the emotions of this is to put it on to you guy who saved me like that's what is to fixate on the savior yeah, and and that and this is the like peter does have this peter is just like peter does say like <laughs> holy shit oh my god life is so precious i don't what have we done what are we doing with our lives why are you fighting over wallpaper this is all so dumb we could all die at any minute like peter is going through some existential yeah, shit. that's the kind of the crazy thing is he is he is like he's like hey just mom, quick heads up. I'm writing a will about what <laughs> about what happens in case I fucking die. And she's like, oh, Peter. And then he's at the dinner table and he literally goes, what are any of us doing here? Tell our life is finite and one day we will die. And the dad just goes, hey, you cut that out. But here <laughs> no no existentialism at the dinner table table. I have told you a thousand times, young man. Here's the thing, Dan. Like what really struck me and found very interesting about this is you could take this script and you could change a handful of lines and you, you could make it Barry and Adam Goldberg. And this would be an episode of the Goldbergs, a show that yeah. a show that you and I both like. Like, yeah. And and you, you could make this an episode of the Goldbergs without too much like work. And it made, it made me realize like kind of the staying power of this formula, maybe not the formula of this particular thing, but like, as I was watching the Brady Bunch, I realized, oh, shit, this family, this dynamic, this is something I've seen, like, replayed. I didn't realize kind of how influential this dynamic was or this show was until that until this moment, which well, I found interesting. The right? The difference between the Brady Bunch and a modern sitcom like the Goldbergs is the Brady Bunch is a sitcom with, like, the bumpers up on bowling. Like, there's no... I actual stake there the weird thing is there the stakes are there but whenever you start to drift too much into like the you know consequences and real shit somebody just comes up and just goes like hey who wants cookies it's and, edgeless like, it's, just it's extremely it. edgeless that's that's what it yeah. comes down to it's maddening 
And it, it this was kind of crazy because you sort of get to see a character realize that he's in the Brady Bunch. Peter just goes like, what are we doing here? Why are we not thinking about things? Don't we understand that this is all meaningless? Like, it's like it's like the fucking Matrix. Meanwhile, where Peter wakes up and the dad comes in like Agent Smith. Meanwhile, meanwhile, right? Like there is a B plot about the girls mildly arguing about a pattern for their wallpaper. Like if you blink and you'll miss it. And then the next scene is like, well, we decided on this and everybody involved. Everyone who is not Peter or Bobby is way more interested in the wallpaper <laughs> plot than their plot. It's this, this is one of the things that, and again, to compare it to the Goldbergs, it's one of the things I like about the Goldbergs is like how completely uninterested everyone is in everyone else's shit. Like Je- it was in the Goldbergs, the, in the, the Goldbergs, Jeff Garland's character Murray will only get involved in the plot line if you drag him in, kicking and screaming. And I love yeah. that. I love it when characters are not interested in their own plots. It's why I like the Mandalorian, <laughs> a man who is just constantly trying to leave his own show. <laughs> but yeah, like there's there's a scene at the dinner table that is surreal because yeah, you do have the wallpaper thought, each uh, wallpaper plot. Each of the three girls has a different wallpaper that they want. And Bobby is is contemplating his own mortality. And the parents go, oh, Bobby, you, you and that. And then they turn over to the wallpaper thing and the the ticking clock sound from 24 starts going off where they're like, girls, you only have a couple of hours to agree on what wallpaper you want or you get no wallpaper. So you must decide. Beep. Beep, beep. <laughs> the level of severity for those two different things is nuts. Uh, so as opposed to the way that Andy handles this, which is just like, I don't want to fucking deal with this. He wants to end it immediately. Peter eventually, to his credit, he holds off a while. But then he's like, all right, man, if you want to do my chores, great. If you want to. Like, do all of this stuff for me? Great. So he starts taking advantage of the situation. He makes Bobby, like, clip the hedges and do all of his chores so that he can go out and play baseball. Their mom, like, looks at them. And one thing that really struck me is you mentioned that the kids have agency, right? How incredibly hands-off these parents are, for the most part. Like, Florence Henderson, Mrs. Brady, is just like, I should step in here, but I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Which also made me kind of wonder, like, what the fuck does she do? Because, right. Yeah. It's it's clear that, like, they're just, we are family. Dad has yeah. job. We Don't worry too much about what job is. It pays the bills. It, he's like an architect. Yeah, he does something. It doesn't matter. But he makes enough to pay for the house. Uh, and he makes enough to pay the salary of their live-in maid? Their live-in yeah. housekeeper, Alice? Who, so if, if he does the work... And Alice, as far as I can tell, does all the cooking and cleaning. And in this episode, anyway, way more of the raising of the children than mm. Mrs. Brady does. The Like, Mrs. Brady's contribution to this entire episode is to look at a broken thumb and go, ah, put some water on it. Okay, bye. Yeah. 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 She tells a kid to take a bath. Yeah. Like, Mrs. Brady is always briskly walking past the scene where, like, she, like, Bobby and Peter are fighting, and she just walks, you you can, if you blink, you'll miss her, just go, 
cut that out. <laughs> that she's gone to wherever the fuck she's going. I, I, I guess it's again, it comes down to like you can't just have a family exist and get humor out of it, or at least the the Bradys were very, really, really trying to like make their last stand on it. Like at least the Partridges sang and they were on yeah. a bus and they traveled places and they met people. And I don't, I don't think there was a Partridge dad. There was just Mrs. Partridge. So that's something you have to have a family that does blank you know but so then bobby starts kind of abusing peter's you know slavery and within uh, 24 hours yeah peter freaks out and then they actually kind of segue into another yeah we get a trope within a trope there's actually three tropes inside of this one yeah. yeah, baby, we got a tropeception. They they do the well. We have to share a bedroom, and we hate that, and we hate each other. So now we're going to put a line of tape down the middle, and this is my half, and this is your. I got half. so hype when I saw the tape. When, like like, <laughs> like when when Peter goes and he gets the tape and he defies it, I'm like, yes, 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 trope, trope, trope. Yeah, I'm like all right, <laughs> give me that sweet, sweet trope. Like, all right, here, here's another one, right? Siblings, siblings fighting over space, dividing it up, or roommates or whatever, like using a literal physical barrier. I'm like, yeah, I've seen this. I watched Full House. Have you? We 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 found all this shit through TV tropes. And do you? There's TV tropes never gets more pumped when there's two big tropes in a <laughs> single thing. They like. Like, they do, like, all right, so this has the trope of, like, the savior and the glowing sword. It also has this trope from an entirely different thing, motherfucker. Like, the language kicks up a notch where it's like, this has anime and sitcom tropes. Woo! And this starts firing off rockets. (laughs) Mixing and matching, baby! Yeah. Yeah! We're speedballing! Like, TV Tropes is a very helpful website for this thing that we do and nothing else (laughs) and no it serves no other function than for like two or three times a year when i'm like where have i seen that before and then i google tv tropes and like thank you and some but some people dedicate their fucking lives to tv tropes tv tropes ruined the brains of like everybody on the internet for like five years because a movie would come and be like there's a trope I saw that on TV tropes. You can't do that. You can't do a trope. Otherwise, you're unoriginal. Like, you can't use a pre-established thing. Otherwise, like, it just turned it into, like, you just saw all the lines of code and you were like, I just see all the tropes. I've become too powerful. (laughs) I'm disconnected from this TV show like Dr. Manhattan. There is for sure a TV tropes to Cinema Sins pipeline. Oh, 100%. the way the way that this is eventually resolved is everybody leaves the house. Yeah. Everybody's just like, you know what? Screw it. You two deal with your shit. And everyone leaves the house and leaves Peter and Bobby alone. And they start fighting. Like they start they're about to go physically toe to toe with it with each other. Um after just like annoying each other. So now we've we've escalated. In fact, we've pretty much forgotten all about the the like life debt at this point. And it's now about a kind of a different thing. We need to talk about what a passive-aggressive little shit Bobby Brady is. He sucks ass. At one point in time, he walks up and he's like, 
you know what, Peter? I'm sorry. Sorry I saved your life, bitch. <laughs> Boom. And then he does the suck it motion and he moonwalks out of the room. <laughs> Knocks over a lamp. <laughs> no, no. He, he, he does say like, oh, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I saved your life. Because if I hadn't saved your life, then you wouldn't have been my slave. And then you wouldn't have been such a little bitch about being my slave. And then, yeah. know, it's and, and that's when they, they have the fight. Anyway. Later, Bobby accidentally locks himself in the closet. <laughs> a huge closet, might I add. A very large closet. And then has is unable to get out of the closet. And then Peter comes in and just absentmindedly lets him out of the closet. And Bobby is like, all right, we're even. Which is somehow dumber than Andy's thing. <laughs> he wasn't... The, he wasn't going to die. He was just locked in a closet. And also, there was no... No character decided to do a thing that resolved the situation. A kid just got locked in a closet. Which is also a, a common trope at a certain point. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Like, fucking, like, yeah, they don't even, the Brady Bunch sort of sucks worse than the Andy Griffith show in this. Because they don't even bother to do the bullshit thing. Like, yeah. they're just like. They and, skip over an entire part of the formula. Yeah, they don't do. <laughs> They they do A, B, and then C is just, and then a kid's stuck in a fucking closet. Like, they fucking, fuck the, the Brady Bunch, man. It sucks. Anything I, else, or can we move on to that I, good we, shit? We, we, we can move on. I am looking at this on the, what what adjective will I use to describe? The, I, I, I am looking at the ultra-cooperative uh, Brady Bunch wiki. <laughs> the the lithiumed-out Brady Bunch wiki. Uh, and I will say there's something very weird about this. Like, this isn't nearly as upsetting as the as the Andy Griffith wiki. However, I will say this. You know how each wiki article has a gallery that's usually like screenshots yeah. of this? The gallery for this episode of the Brady Bunch wiki, wiki, wiki page is four pictures. <laughs> it is four pictures that someone took of their television screen. Mm-hmm. It is four pictures that some of, of someone's television screen with a MeTV logo in the corner. <laughs> and they are four blurry pictures of the Brady girls. Yeah. So somebody, and it, it's exactly, it's it's almost exactly the same. So no, Dan, I, I need you to fucking understand what I'm talking about here. I'm going to put this in chat yeah. for you. I, I have a fun treat. Okay, for I need you, you to fucking this. understand what this is. It is four pictures, one of which you can see the pause screen, and it's just the three Brady girls, the teenage girls, and Cindy, who is now twelve, and it's them like like frame by frame talking to each other, and that is it. That is the entirety of this gallery. Somebody paused it on the Brady girls, took four pictures of their TV with their phone, and then uploaded it to the fucking brady bunch wiki page and said that's the gallery nothing else is happening in this episode and it's so upsetting also there is only one comment on this wiki by first name bunch of numbers and it says oh yeah (laughs) has there ever been a more perfect collection of potential serial killers and current serial killers than the Brady Bunch wiki. If you are a reg, if you comment on the Brady Bunch wiki, someone should come to your house. 
I don't I don't agree with profiling, but in that case, someone should just like come and check out your yard and make sure you don't have a bunch of blonde kids locked up in a shit. I gotta say something too, by the way. Like part of this part of this was like show was always about how Marsha was the hot one and Jan kind of gets overlooked or whatever. But we're in the last season of this. These two girls are identical. I cannot tell them apart. <laughs> That's they all look exactly the same. They they did a good job making them look like I'm, sisters. I can't tell the difference between the fucking boys. They're like, here's Greg Brady. Here's Peter Brady. One of them's the hot one. And I'm like, the one with the bigger hair or I mean, the smaller hair? I here I am hair? looking at a blurry picture of some dude's television with a MeTV logo. And I don't know which one of these is the hot one. Like. These are the same. Prior to Game of Thrones, this invented the trope of all these fucking dudes <laughs> look exactly the same. Now we can move I, on to so I, I have a thing. a thing. I went on the TV Tropes page for this episode just to check out what they got going on. They include feud episode. Uh, here we go again. I owe you my life. Locked in a closet. Cain and Abel. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can see the that. The potential murder of a sibling. Continuity odd. And fun with flushing in that this is an episode with a toilet in it. Yeah, actually, uh, I didn't want to mention, but they do mention that on the Brady Bunch wiki as well. Uh, that even though we've never seen the toilet in this one, we heard it. Okay. Wait, who, who cares? cares? Who gives a People shit? People are insane. <laughs> hey. All right. Mash. Who, who, who gives a shit? Um, Mash. Okay. So Mash fucking blows both of these out of the water both in the episode to episode basis and in the greater existence right. of like, the show. Right, like, I mean, it's kind of cheating any unmash, a show that we both like. Uh, the show that yeah, we both love. Yeah, I fucking yeah, love. So, my history with MASH is that when when I graduated during the financial crisis and there were no jobs, I worked as an assistant at an extremely bullshit startup, and I didn't really have a job. I just was kind of decoration. They just brought me in to be like, and here's our assistant, which legitimizes us as a company. And I'd be like, hello, I'm here to do assistanting. And for the entire last year, I was basically trying to get fired. So I watched the entirety of MASH from my desk blatantly. <laughs> they were just like, hey, Dan, what are you doing? I'd be like, watching MASH. You want to hear about this episode? And they'd be like, no. Do you have any work today? Nope. <laughs> Unless you count the antics I'm getting up to with Hawkeye and Trapper. <laughs> this is my job for this year. Fuck you, people. Fire me. <laughs> I mean, if, if nothing else, right? I've, I've, whenever we tell a story from our background, it makes it make so much more sense that we do this. And pretty much only this. Like, this is our only yeah. skill. All right, so episode Friendship, season nine, episode 10. So we're actually January 26, 1981. We're kind of coming to the end of Na of MASH. And in this one, the this one the, the life debt comes between Corporal Klinger, the company clerk, and Major Winchester. We should probably clarify, on the off chance that someone here hasn't seen MASH, I, 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 I pretty, mu I pretty I, much I assume that everyone knows what the Brady Bunch is. I, I'm going to say MASH is a show about... Doctors in the Korean War, but it's actually a thinly veiled analogy for Vietnam, and it actually, mm -hmm. the show itself lasted longer than either of those wars did. It is about basically a, like, it, it starts out as one show and ends as a very different show. Because it starts out as, here's a medical camp full of, full of doctors and nurses, and they're treating people during the Vietnam War, and they are 
it's it's Looney Tunes and they're all very horny and they're fucking each other a whole bunch. Everybody's cheating on their spouses all over the place. It's basically a college dorm, but a, occasionally someone shows up covered in their own blood. Which is kind of what the movie uh, was. Like it's based on a on a Robert Altman movie, which is eh. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel I have I feel eh about that movie. And then as it went on and they started like killing off characters and shit and like they had multiple episodes that was just Alan Alda fucking monologuing. It turned into a deep as shit statement on the horrors of war because like MASH, like they went on for 11 seasons. So characters like came and went. People eventually wanted to go do other shit and MASH didn't go like, and now I'm off to start my my new life somewhere fun. MASH is like, they're fucking dead. We shot them in the face. They're dead. Deal with it. That guy you loved. Dead. It might have been like the genesis of the modern dramedy. Like this might be yeah. one of the first examples of a dramedy. So we're in a later season episode here, and this conflict happens between Corporal Klinger, played by Jamie Farr, and for the like Klinger's whole thing is that he wants to get the fuck out of Korea by any means necessary, including like including his primary cr- including cr- thing including cross dressing. So he cross-dresses because he hopes that they will give, like, diagnose him with a mental disorder and then send him Which home. Which I'm gonna say uh, is not, not great ideal. by any not means, ideal. but not as bad <laughs> as a TV show in the 70s doing cross-dressing yeah, should have nope. been. Because they mostly, he's he talks about, like, accessorizing and shit, and he gets kind of into it. And people are like, oh, man, nice dress today, Clinger. And he's like, thank you. Discharge me on a Section 8. And they're like, nah, man, that's not that bad. So Stagray could be significantly worse in the show in, like, the 90s. They, it's not even relevant in this. Uh, he spends this entire episode in his uniform. They slowly phased yeah, it out. Yeah. And basically just turned him into, like, a shifty con man. Right. So in, in this episode, it's him versus Major Winchester, who is like a big pompous blowhard. He uses yeah. a lot of big words and blah, blah, blah. And he he they they he, he fills the role of like the the antagonist, like the dumb jerk who everybody hates, except they, they had one of those who was just like this dumb, horrible piece of shit that everybody hated and everything he did was selfish or stupid or immature. And then they got rid of that guy and then they replaced him with this dude who was that, but also he's fucking yeah, awesome. Yeah. Like he's smart as shit. Uh, he's still an asshole, but he's also like kind of justifiable because he's like, you guys fucking suck too. I'm actually like good at my job and I've kind of earned the right to be an asshole. And also like, you're not going to fuck me over and dick me around. Um, by the end, one of my favorite characters on the show. I'm gushing about MASH too much. This is unlistenable. That's okay. That's okay. So in this case, Klinger and, and Winchester are in the operating room after surgery. So they're cleaning up. And the reason they're cleaning up, the reason that they're there is because Winchester doesn't think that Klinger is doing a good enough job uh, of cleaning up. So, like... Klinger fucked up, like, putting stuff away, and Winchester's chewing him out, and Klinger's like, he's right, I should have done my job better, let's go clean it up. And while, yeah. while Winchester is yelling at Klinger, Klinger realizes that there's a an electrical malfunction, and a piece of equipment is about to explode. And he dives on top of Winchester at the last second, knocks him out of the way, as a piece of machinery 
that like explodes and 100% would have taken Winchester's head. Clean. See, I'm a little confused by that because the other plot of this is that Dr. BJ Honeycutt, who is another character, happens to be walking by at the moment and he clearly does not die. He Well, he he, he gets hit he gets he's farther back. Like Winchester's head was right next to the explosion and he was like 10 feet away. And it's still like almost just almost took yeah, his I mean, arm. It, it fucked BJ up for sure. And and, that, yeah. and that's the other uh, plot line of this is that BJ gets fucked up by this and his best friend Hawkeye wants to treat him. BJ is refusing treatment. And then finally the, the colonel, their commanding officer calls in a specialist, a specialist surgeon and Hawkeye resents that. So yeah. that that's the actual much more important, much more serious storyline. That's the A plot of this. We're not going to yeah. talk about that at all. The B plot is immediately following this. Klinger does I mean I think he's the only one of these that actually f- suffered any damage. I mean, I guess I guess Peter Brady got some paint on him. But yeah. but Klinger breaks his nose. And, yeah, breaks his whole nose is actually in the hospital for the uh, majority of the episode. And they have a lot of fun um, with this because the actor Jamie Farr had a very large nose, so like there's a lot of jokes that they can make there. All right, whatever. Uh Well, yeah, they they get some fucking the, incredible they, 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 they get some good slams on on his broken nose was it Haw- hawkeye they, says something they, like they they have they have one joke of hawkeye says like he sustained damage to a majority of his body he broke his nose <laughs> fucking great yeah. line and so uh, again at first it starts off with winchester taking over Klinger's job as the company clerk and filing all the things and making coffee and whatnot, filing reports or whatever. A job that Klinger was never particularly good at to begin with because, again, he's trying to get fired, discharged. Yeah. And then it, like, escalates to, I don't know, him doing chores, making tea, reading horny books. For some reason, read erotic literature to him. Why? Why? Uh, it was like detective literature that had like naughty parts to it. But why? Why do two of these three episodes involve grown men reading erotica to each other? It's just what you did with your bros, man. There was you just you just got horny with your buds on a Thursday night. There was nothing else to do. What are you going to do? Like, play air hockey? No, you just sat down and you said, all right, we're all going to think about the concept of naked ladies together and get really rock hard. And then we're just going to kind of sit there and be hard together. And then we're going to go home. And that was our evening. I'll see you guys again Tuesday. If we want to talk about the Brady Bunch taking shortcuts to the end of this, the MASH episode does not resolve it at all. The mash episode just ends with with Winchester coming in and saying, fuck you, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> fuck you, you're an asshole, I hate you, I destroyed the book you made me read to you, and we're back to our old thing. Which is kind of- It's better! I, so, like, honestly, I know it skips they, to the end just like the Brady Bunch did, but it's so much less stupid. Well, they, all right, they, they escalate every aspect of it. The potential death, the most severe possible- the per- the savior is actually injured. the The remorse of the person that almost died is real because he was treating Klinger like absolute dog shit right before he almost fucking died. So he is like 
He's not like, oh, let me follow you around. I'm going to clean up after you. Let me shine your shoes. He's like, I'm going to read to you in the hospital. And then they deconstruct that by taking the very real, like, like valid version of this trope and having Klinger abuse the living shit out of it. And just from minute one, he's not like, oh, I don't know, man. You don't have to do all that for me. This is an inconvenience. He's like, read horny books to me, you slime toad, you piece of crap. Because it's revenge, because he has an ulterior motive of revenge that the others did not have, right? He's he's getting revenge for being mistreated earlier. And the other thing is, right, it makes way more sense for Winchester to get over this a lot faster, because unlike... Peter Brady, who is a child, Major Winchester is a med- is a military doctor and is quite familiar with the concept of death. Like he yeah. has he has had to ruminate that about in his head for a while. So even in this case, he's gonna be over it in like twelve hours. Like he's having yeah. a bad day. <laughs> yeah, it's more about guilt for him than it is realizing that one day he's exactly. going to die. Exactly. Yeah. The. So the thing that watching an Andy Griffith show episode immediately followed by a mash episode did kind of highlight just how fucking miserable I am watching the Andy (laughs) Griffith show because there's I'm like, oh, my God, every character's line in this is either funny or making a point about something. There's no just long meandering silences while they remember that soda exists (laughs) fucking like and like especially contrasting two different shows handling the concept of sex because the Andy Griffith show is always like, well, you know, that, uh, that Susie's pretty, uh, well, you know, she's got a good pair of, she uh, can, can really move in a way that is, I'm, 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 I'm attracted to her. And meanwhile, Hawkeye is over there just like, I'm busting nuts all over this cast. I'm, I fucked my majority of the extras. Who wants to hear about it? And everyone's like, I do. And he's like, great. I, every other line is about how I'm either pre or post coitus. And, and, let, and let's be clear here. It's not like there's a lot of like, like distance between them right andy griffith and yeah. ends in 1968 mash opens 1972 like it's only yeah. four years they these tv shows went to high school together what the mash is a show for adults brady bunch is a show for kids and the andy griffith show is a show for adults pretending to be kids that's like basically the way these things function together yeah and that aligns perfectly yeah. with the characters in this fucking in, 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 in these fucking conflicts that that yeah. aligns perfectly with this yes and, yeah. and i think you said at the very beginning here like this whole thing requires a child's level of of understanding of the world right this is why mash had to make it a bullshit b plot and then not resolve yeah. it because it doesn't work between two adults that's why it's such a popular dr- and uh, i was thinking about it the other times that we've done comparison episodes Right. The other time we've done comparison episodes, it was like the trope was two people, two friends or brothers trying to get in the same club or trying to get trying to fill one position. Two people want one position. Great. That's a realistic thing that happens. You and I could have that happen to us. Have had that happen to us. You and I have both applied for the same job yeah. before. Like that's a thing that happens every day. You know, another one is another one is like guy gets dumped by his girlfriend and he and his buddies have a wild night to try to get over it again a a realistic thing that happens every day this one though like 
someone saves my life under tenuous circumstances and then I have to like pledge myself to be their slave yeah. is not a thing that happens to adults. You know? Well, it's a weird regularly weird anyway. Of this that I, yeah, a weird version of this that I remembered was the Chuck Palahniuk book Choke, where he kind of theorizes a, a an inverted version of this, where the main character in Choke goes to restaurants and makes himself choke on a piece of meat, and then someone gives him the Heimlich. And the theory is, when you save someone's life, you decide that you are responsible for them, and you have, like, a sentimental attachment for them. So you will, like, support that person and take care of so them. So it's, it's, the it's like an life. inversion of it. Yeah, which I don't, I mean, I... I, I don't think I've ever heard an example of that no. happening in the wild. It sounds equally as implausible. That's, su- that's such a that's such a deeply Chuck Palahniuk kind of idea, too. Like, uh, yeah, I, I, which he managed. The Chuck Palahniuk is the master of selling stupid fucking ideas and making them sound really smart and deep. Now I, this is not a trope that makes sense in serious media for adults. And I think yeah. that like mash, like tearing up the book is kind of like the end of it. That's that's live action media going. All right, we've run this trip and here's my evidence for it. The most recent example I could find of this occurring in live action sitcoms was the big bang theory, <laughs> <laughs> which is also a show for adults who are children. Like, and in and, 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 and the Big Bang Theory, apparently, like, the reason why Leonard puts up with all of Sheldon's bullshit is that Sheldon saved his life once. Like, it's it's, oh, it's put okay. in there as an excuse for, like, everything that Sheldon does. Like, every reason why you should have abandoned him a long time ago. It's It's a useful mechanic. I think I've seen other shows do basically the same thing. Yeah, it's... I mean, it kind of, again, in terms of your child brain, it makes perfect sense. Like, someone saves your life, so you must be their servant forever. They you they saved your life, therefore it Definitely is Definitely saw it in an episode of like, Hey Arnold. That's the, yeah, the thing that no, it, came to my mind immediately. It makes perfect sense to a kid. Like, I never questioned that. I kind of assumed that life debts were going to be more of a thing. Like... Like, I would at some point in my life end up in eternal servitude to somebody who, like, pushed me out of the way of a truck. Oh, Dan, no one would bother saving your life. I know, really. <laughs> like, it, it, everyone would just kind of be like, oh, well, let that man be a cautionary tale about <laughs> staying away from trucks. Let's be, honest, let's be honest, dude. You were born to be a statistic. <laughs> <laughs> I, dude, a morbid thought I had as a teenager is like, oh man, I'm going to be the guy that dies in a car crash at 17 and inspires someone else to do something with their life. Like, that's probably the most useful I'm going to be. I'm going to be a really good, like, a guy at a football game is like, and this one's for Dan! (laughs) Yeah, and I was disappointed. I was like, oh man. Someone would have probably been president if I ate it. Fuck, that was dumb. Was, I don't. I don't know how to recover from that. There was a. There was another one of these from the Looney Tunes show that, which is that like Cartoon Network attempt to do like a sitcom with Looney Tunes characters. I thought it was yeah. pretty good. No one watched it, but in that one, it sort of inverts it, like where Bugs saves Yosemite Sam's life, 
And Yosemite Sam is so fucking angry at the idea of owing Bugs Bunny anything that he follows Bugs around all day waiting for something bad to happen to Bugs so that he can save him and then be even. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, this you can still do stuff with this. Like, there's yeah. still you can still make funny things with it, like with the as a sideline, but it's like it does not work as anything that we're supposed to take remotely seriously which is why i kind of think that the mash episode doesn't work as well as the other two do like it's because this plot line doesn't work there it doesn't serve a purpose there so i'm about to say that the andy griffith show originated this trope which as soon as i say it someone's going to be like actually this was in one of the canterbury tales i mean no the fool and the carpenter it's okay man it's okay man we've got it covered like yes it appeared in in literature a bunch of times robinson crusoe is probably the best example right that's what that's friday's whole deal but yeah this is the earliest i can see it popping up in television so shut up nerds uh (laughs) get out of here english lit majors fuck off no dude you can't say that if if you tell english lit majors to to leave there goes 90 percent of our audience plus us a hundred percent of the of the cast a hundred percent of the hosts have to go too (laughs) The our, our audience is completely made up of people that had to read The Fairy Queen in college. <laughs> that is that's our demographic. We dominate that slot. Oh fuck, dude, I had a great Bartleby the Scrivener joke that I was going to do and I forgot about it. Oh, you want to just like, this like slight, we'll, we'll get it in post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like listen. One of my favorite I love I fucking love television shows or episodes about people that don't want to get involved in the plot. I love it when people don't want to do things. Bartleby the Scrivener, baby. I would really, (laughs) I would prefer not to. That is my hero. That's my guy right there. Hell yeah. Bartleby the Scrivener should be brought back as like a fucking millennial icon. (laughs) Do... Do a fucking, do a, like a Will Ferrell Bartleby the Scrivener movie. No, do the Bartleby the Scrivener HBO Max show. Like, yes, yes. Yeah. Fucking get Timothy Chalamet to. Fuck, Holy shit. To do that shit. Bartleby, Bartleby the Scrivener. It's, nuts deep. Timothy Chalamet. Like, just fucking. Just do, do Bartleby the Scrivener HBO Max show. Full frontal nudity, do all the HBO shit, do some fucking stuff about how wacky it is to live in New York. Well, all God that damn. bullshit. Just fucking do it. And, and, and the we'll... whole time, the whole time, like, it's just like millions of plots going around. And it's just Timothy Chalamet, who is like halfway naked for most of the deal you know, for some reason, just going, nah, fuck it. No. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is... That is the role that Timothy Chalamet was born to play because he's in Dune basically playing Bartleby the Scrivener. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Pa- Paul Atreides does not want to be involved in any of your shit. Yeah. That's just Timothy Chalamet is Bartleby the Scrivener no matter the severity or level of interest in his character. He's blow he's he's railing Army Hammer in <laughs> Call Me by Your Name while going I'd rather not. <laughs> except, except, like, the, the level of severity here is, like, Bartleby the Scrivener is saying, I would really not rather not do my fucking job. 
Uh, whereas Paul Atreides is like, you are the savior and the messiah of our world. And he's like, nah, bro. I don't want to. Until later on where he's like, yeah, I super fucking want to. Hell yeah. One sec. One sec. Fucking, what's the specific thing that Bartleby says? Because we've said so many permutations of it, I can't remember. I would prefer not to. <laughs> Call me by your name. I would prefer not to. <laughs> we need to rent a plane and a parachute, and I need to airdrop over the set of Wonka, and I just need <laughs> wearing a t-shirt that says, Timothy Chalmay play Bartleby the Scrivener, and just like, 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 in fucking the Truman Show, just like, Timothy! <laughs> we, th- we cracked it! We figured out your thing! I mean, I gotta say, Timothy Chalamet probably has, like, daily has to deal with people invading his shit and just, like, screaming stuff at him. I don't think they look like us, generally. He might be He's, like, yeah. this is a refreshing change of pace. He'll be so relieved that I'm not asking to see his dick. <laughs> like, he'll just be like, all right. Oh, fine. Wait, no, you have an actual, you have a movie suggestion? Are, you don't want to see my ass? Okay, cool. Yeah, let's let's shoot and then he'll be like do you guys want to play halo like <laughs> yeah because that's because that, yeah. that's his thing dude timothy chalamet like had it is it's a gamer like before he was famous he had like a youtube channel where he customized xbox controllers and like <laughs> if you ever watch him talk about that shit he gets super hype and it's really funny that like every movie has him playing like sad mopey like moody yeah guy, when like everything you see in real life he's just like He's been like, holy shit, this rules. Timothy Chalamet should have been Peter Peter Parker, and I'm sticking with that. Dude, like, everybody is, everybody looks at Timothy, and they're just like, oh, man, he's such a perfect, cherubic, sad boy. I bet he he has deep thoughts about Kierkegaard and poetry. And meanwhile, he's like, hey, guys, like and subscribe. <laughs> I'm, op- I'm opening Yu-Gi-Oh cards on this channel. Like, with, within that picturesque sad boy dwells the heart of a gamer. Like, the most thought that Timothy Chalamet has ever put into fucking anything is which Overwatch character to main. Like <laughs> within him is <laughs> I w- I want to hang with with like I I feel like I'm I'm sounding really neg- negative on this. I like Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. When I see him and stuff I go, "Yeah, all right, cool." He has the body of a Wes Anderson character and the soul of a Seth Rogen character. <laughs> oh, I I feel bad for him now, that poor man. He just wants people to think of him a little bit less. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet's whole quest is to prove that you can be a himbo at 110 pounds. Tim- He's a himbo in the body of a twink. This poor man. Timothy Chalmay, I promise you, I do not contain multitudes. <laughs> Please, I am begging you. You know, no- normally our topical stuff about celebrities is our worst shit. Like, anytime we try to, like, make a, like make jokes about Pete Davidson or whatever, it just falls flat. This is gold, baby. This is fucking gold. Finding out that Timothy Shelby is a gamer is the funniest shit. Because he looks like if he tried to pick up an Xbox controller, his hands would sizzle with pain. Also, oh, no, he, he, looks, he looks like if he picked up an Xbox controller, he'd go, uh, uh, uh. Got it. 
I guess I, we've pretty much dissected this trope as much as we humanly possible. Uh, uh, as more than anybody should. Do we want to rate any of these episodes? Which of these episodes? I mean, I know the answer was MASH. I was kind of surprised. I didn't hate the Brady Bunch episode as much as you did. It was kind of like I was watching something through cellophane. I started playing a video game halfway through the Brady Bunch episode. I like not consciously. I just looked. I like looked around and I was like, how long have I been playing Inscription? What the fuck? I will yeah. say, I think I like the Brady Bunch episode more than I like the Andy Griffith episode. The Brady Bunch is like rat poison for people with ADD. Like <laughs> you could, br- you, you know how in Britain they use those, like those sounds to disperse young people. Yeah. If you either ever need to get rid of a lot of people with attention deficit disorder, just play it a, a Brady Bunch episode and they'll scatter like cockroaches. <laughs> I, I didn't hate that. I, I think I liked the Andy Griffith episode the least. Again, honestly, because it feels the grossest. It's it's mostly just a, just a more thing. We should do Andy Barney meter for this episode just for the sake of consistency. Andy meter. Five. I'm going to say it a two. Just yeah, I, par- partially because it's been compared unfavorably to other things. And Barney Meter... There's nothing. Zero. zero. Yeah, zero, no, zero, zero, nothing zero. really upset Hard me. zero. It, again, this is a, chi- it's a child story. Yeah, basically. I guess that's it for us. Happy holidays and happy new year, everybody. If you want to follow us online, we are at Break Mayberry on the Twitter. Uh, Facebook.com. No, Facebook Breaking Mayberry fans. Come join our fan group. If you want to support us with your money dollars, which you... I, I should have put this promo up in the beginning. Yeah, so we need to start spending money on the Andy Griffith show. It's leaving Amazon Prime. So it's oh, yeah. never been a better time than now to become a Patreon subscriber. Patreon.com slash Breaking Mayberry. Come join our Discord. We do cool things. We stream stuff. We are working on an RPG at some point. If you if enough people subscribe, we will play it. We will play a tabletop role-playing game version of the Andy Griffith show. Yeah, we will do that. We just did a bonus episode, uh, as suggested by our new uh, our, our, our newest our newest patron uh who, our, who we need to give a thank you to arthur drexel and we did an episode for the 1968 show 1968 movie wild in the streets which is sort of a prequel to logan's run i guess yeah uh, that does, and that's all i'm giving you yeah. although i will say uh, this if they remade wild in the streets right now the main character would 100 percent be timothy chalamet it would be timothy <laughs> it would be timothy so hard <laughs> All roads lead to Chalmay. Fucking A. All right. I Uh, think that's it. Instagram, Breaking Mayberry. You dolls don't care. We'll see you all. Wishing you all prosperity and growth and uh, health in the new year, et cetera, et cetera. We'll see you all down at the fishing hole. Boom, 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 boom,